You're listening to the My Victory Podcast. Well, hello, everyone that's joining us online, wherever you are around the world. Welcome to you guys. Give them a big hand. Come on. Our online campus representing 23 different nations, five different continents, most of the provinces across our nation, which is awesome. So we are live. Why don't you just go ahead and put in the chat where you are watching from. Hey, Kathy, happy uh, Father's Day to Aaron and you guys. Uh, hey, Deborah's there. Peggy's there. Hope's there. Carson's there. Uh, uh, Jen is there. Robin, you guys are watching for Robin and Gloria watching from Buffalo Lake. That's awesome. Enjoying that. Uh, Biso is there. Uh, We've got George's there. So good. Give them all a big hand. Anthony and Beverly and man, so good to see all of you guys on there. And one church, five locations. Welcome everyone that's joining us. Happy Father's Day to you in Tabor, Claire's home, Okotoks, Lloyd Minster, and of course Lethbridge. Welcome to all of you guys. Part three, and if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, you're kind of at the, near the end of the movie, and I'd really highly, 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 highly encourage you all to go back, and if you, have, if you missed the first couple of messages, go back and, and kind of catch up on this thing, because I don't know, the, the deeper I get into this, into the study of, of the kingdom, and just kind of been diving in even deeper throughout this series, in, in many ways, the more important I see this coming, and the reason why I say that is because this is, this is a, a more powerful statement than the words that are coming up. But this, Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to establish his kingdom. And Jesus came preaching the message of the kingdom. Matthew 4 says that. Jesus came with the message of the kingdom. This is the message of Jesus. This is what his purpose was and his mission was and what he began teaching. 162 times in the New Testament, it mentions the kingdom of God. And I don't know that we fully grasp the power of what Jesus was saying and, and what Jesus was doing. But in this series, we're just scratching the surface. I'm, I'm encouraging you all to do a study in the scriptures on, on the, the kingdom of God and, and kind of tie all this together. And we're going we're to revisit this, I think, at some point down the road and come back at this because this is so, so, so vital and I think even now, I think this is the weight that God's putting on my heart on this and, and a lot of other pastors that I've talked to in the same regard is this is the message of the church moving forward is saying we got to get away from religious Christianity, which we're going to touch on today, and we need to get into the message of Jesus and, and the, the message is the kingdom of God. Jesus said this in Luke 11. Verse two, he says, when you pray, say, your kingdom come. What is so important for us to see is that the kingdom of God is not, is not out there somewhere. It's not in, in eternity and one day we'll get there. Jesus said, when you pray, say, your kingdom come. And what we need is we need believers who will pray this. We need Christians who will pray this. We need we need followers of Jesus who will say this and pray this and live this and invite the kingdom of God here. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we've been describing this, uh, what, the, what a kingdom is, and every kingdom has four major, there's other commonalities, but four major commonalities every kingdom has in the kingdom of God. It's interesting, Jesus used the word kingdom 
to describe what he was coming to establish because this was just this was a word that he was using that we as humans could understand what he was trying to set up and establish here. And this is what's key in that every kingdom, four major common things, it has to have a king. A kingdom simply means the domain or the dominion of a king. It needs to have a king. A kingdom needs to have a government. A government is not what we see, we understand government to be today, but government is simply the laws and way of doing things. Every kingdom has its own laws and way of doing things that are established, which is different from democracy and every other uh, type of government or, or leadership in, in nations out there, is that in a kingdom, the government or the laws and ways of doing things in a kingdom are completely driven by the king. That you change kings, he might bring a whole new constitution, whole new laws, who know, new ways of doing things. And we can see that throughout history and kingdoms, that kings would come in and they would completely change the focus of things. This is so important for us to understand um, because, because when the king changed, everything changed. Okay, In the kingdom of God, when the king changed, everything changed. We'll get to that then uh, a kingdom also has to have a territory. It's not much of a kingdom without a territory. And here's what is, I think, for me, was the most misunderstood part of the kingdom of God is that I've always, when I read the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, I always attributed that to one day in eternity, the kingdom of God is out there somewhere. But this is so important for us to understand is that throughout scriptures and this, in this series that the territory and Jesus came establishing his territory here. And, and that's why when he prayed, and these three words are so huge, launching this whole series, your kingdom come. It's an invitation to God's territory, his kingdom here. Right, which is, which is, which is very, very, very important. A kingdom must also have citizens. And Paul said this, that we are citizens, and he said this in Philippians, we are citizens of, of heaven. And that our role as citizens is to, of heaven is to establish and to maintain and to, and to grow his territory here on this earth. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we obviously establish something that's key, that when Jesus came to earth as, as the son of God, but also the son of man, he, he came and was established as king. Paul said this in 1 Timothy. He says, Jesus, now to the king eternal, talking about Jesus, he came as king, which is so important because we can't miss this. Uh, I emphasize this again, is that when Jesus came, this changed. And this changed. And we got this. Okay, all of a sudden we became citizens of heaven. Without this king, these don't happen. This changed, which, listen to me, those of you just joining us, we, we got maybe those of us who've been here for three weeks, we're not fully grasping this. I, I know I'm not, I'm not fully grasping this. This changed. The government of, of heaven changed. The laws changed. This changed where religion, Jesus didn't come to establish a religion based on Judaism and the old law. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. That is so, so important. Jesus said this. Let's, let's dive right in. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to take notes. As, uh, and and we're going we're gonna to go through 
and lay a foundation. We're going to take on a challenge today. How, how about this? Um, if we understand the kingdom of God, we will know as, as Christians what to stand up for and what to stand up against and, what to, and all of that. And because we, we don't understand the kingdom, we, we get this wrong all the time as Christians of what we should stand for and what we should stand against and what we're supposed to do and all the confusion going on. And so we're going to dive into even what we do as Christians with our government Let's go there. Let's go. Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom. And, I, you know, we, we read the scripture, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We focus on the, all these things. But listen, Jesus said, for, very first sermon, seek first. That means put it as a... As, First, priority. This is talking about priorities. And whatever is first in your life affects every part of your life. A culture is a way of life and beliefs and behavior. So what Jesus is saying is we need to think kingdom. We need to act kingdom. We need to have the culture of kingdom. In our church, we need to have the culture of kingdom. We need, in our homes, we need to have the culture of kingdom. In our hearts and our lives, we need to have the culture of kingdom. And a culture is a way of life, beliefs, and behaviors. And to champion the culture of heaven is to champion the ways and thoughts of God here on earth. Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. That's established the culture of heaven here on earth. So that's why we're going to party a little bit this summer and today. is because I, heaven is a party. And we need to establish a little bit more of the culture of heaven. Come on. Here on this earth. We talked last week this word kingdomology, which is just simply just, just having kingdom thinking and kingdom thoughts. Kingdomology is to have your thoughts and worldview shaped by the king, our King Jesus, which is contrary to every other dominion or every other worldview. Paul said this in Romans 12. He's talking now to believers, people who believe in God. And he said this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He's not talking to those outside the church. He's talking to those inside the church. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world could be translated as the worldview. So do not conform to the current worldview, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He, notice he's not saying transformation happens at salvation by praying a simple prayer. He says transformation happens when you are renewing, I-N-G, which means continually renewing your mind. To what? To culture of heaven, to kingdomology. Then, he says, when you do that, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. In other words, you, then you'll be able to have kingdomology. You'll be able to understand the thinking of King Jesus, of, of your king, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, so transformation comes when we renew our mind to Jesus' view or his, his thinking, his kingdom thinking. For example, it is a violation, we learned this last week, it's a violation of kingdom culture to allow our differences to divide us. Just letting that sink in a little bit. It's a violation of kingdom culture to allow our differences to divide us. What is the current worldview? If you are different than me, if you look different than me, if you vote different than me, if you think different than me, 
If whatever it might be, we allow our differences to divide us. Nobody's noticing this, the current worldview. That is a violation of Jesus's thinking. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can align with his perfect, pleasing, perfect will. Kingdom culture, we learned this last week, does not allow our differences to divide us. That's just one example. But here's, here's an example in, in the Old Testament of, of believers conforming, believers in God, conforming to the current worldview. The story's in 1 Samuel uh, verse 8, Samuel, of course, is, was a prophet in the nation of Israel. And, and when, when God set up the nation of Israel, he established prophets. Who, and these prophets were, were spokespeople of God and that God would speak to them. And, and God wanted to dwell with his people. And, and he would speak to them and communicate with them. And he would use a prophet to communicate with them. So this happens in 1 Samuel 8. And it says this. So all the elders of Israel... Okay, and the elders would have been a representative of each one of the tribes. So 12 uh, men would have gathered together. They came to Samuel at, at Ramah, and they said to him, you're old. It was a, not a great way to start a conversation um, if you want to get the guy's attention. That's not the best. But they, this is what they said. That you're old, um, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all of the other nations have. Here's their first problem. They conformed to the current world view at the time, and they said this, such as all the other nations have. This is a violation of the current worldview. Now listen, Jesus' way of thinking, the kingdom of God, is different. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we're supposed to be different. Nobody's going to take advantage of that and say, so there we go. No, we're supposed to be exceptional. We think differently, and God asks us to think differently. Paul said we need to renewing our, be renewing our minds to think differently. And, and here, the human nature is to, we want to be like everyone else. That's what they said. We want to be like everyone else, such as all the other nations have. It says this, the next verse says, when, but when they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Now notice, this is what God says. They rejected, they didn't say, God didn't say they rejected me. They were still believers in God, they still had God as their God. They still were believers. They weren't saying, we're, we're not going to believe in God anymore. They are just saying, we, you know, God said to them, we, you rejected me as king, which indicates to me that you can be a believer and not have Jesus as king. That there's a difference between Jesus as your savior and Jesus as your king. That you can get to heaven, you can have him as your savior, establish salvation, you can go to church, you can do all these things and believe in Jesus, but yet you don't not necessarily have Jesus as king. We getting this? Because they weren't, they, they believed in God. I mean, Saul believed in God. David certainly believed in God. Solomon believed in God. The, most of the kings of Israel believed in God, worshiped God. However, they, cur they 
conformed to the worldview and rejected God as their king. Okay, and simply, you know, we can't simply involve, you, can, you know, we can involve God in parts of our life, but that's not the same as making him king. When he is king, he is first. Seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't say seek first salvation, seek first believing in God. He said seek first the kingdom so that his ways become our ways. Now it goes on in, in 1 Samuel. God continues and says this. Now listen to them. But warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Here's the thing. This is the problem with the current worldview. The current worldview is inherently self-seeking. And the human kings in, in that they would choose, and, he, and God said this, with me as your king, there's expectations, yes, but God is... Naturally, God is love, and God is naturally not selfish, not self-seeking, but the human kings would become, and they would demand, they would abuse people, they would overtax people for their own gain, they would use their power uh, for, to satisfy their own wants and needs and all the rest of it, and God said this, the moment you establish another king other than me, be careful, there is going to be consequences. Do we get this? The reason why, and here's the moral of this story, the reason why is the less internal government you have, the more external government you need. Okay, what do I mean? The more, when I say the word government, I'm saying laws and way of doing things. The more internal King Jesus, God is love, the more love his, his command, this command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you. That's his laws and way of doing things. The less internal, God's, God's uh, government, the government of God is internal and it's invisible. The less that you have of, of the king, the more external laws, rules, government you will need. So the rejection of God as king, that was a slow fade from, what I mean by that is, is that this is something where they became less and less reliant on God and, and all of that, and they said, we want to be like all the other nations, and they got captivated by everything else. It's a slow fade. It happens to all of us. We got to be careful because this is, we got to be, this is a warning for all of us not to follow in these same, same paths of, of what is human nature to do, the less internal government, the less internal uh, you, you know, love that you have, submitting to the, to, to the King Jesus that you have, less kingdom you have, the more you're going to rely on something else to rule you. Right? Something else you're going to give in. You're going to need something else to fill that void, to, to, to whatever that might be. The less internal government you have, the more external government you need. The more you allow him to reign in you, the less rules, laws, religion you need. Are we getting this yet? The more love of God, the more kingdom we have in our church, the less religion, rules, 
we will need. The early church started kingdom-minded, expanded, exploded, all the, because they started this, but then all of a sudden they drifted too, and the more they drifted, the more religion, laws, external laws, government took up. When God first came as king in the Old Testament, there was 10 rules. By the time Jesus got there, there was 613 rules. The less internal government you need, the more external. Anybody getting, we're getting this now. The more, dads, let's just think about this now. The more internal king, kingdom of God minded your children are, the less rules you need to give them. Okay, we're getting it. <laughs> Theology, Francis uh, Fenelon said this. He said, the kingdom of God, which is within us, consists in our willing whatever God wills, always, in everything, and without reservation, and thus his kingdom comes. So powerful. Kingdom of God, is, which is within us, consists of our willing whatever God wills, always, in everything, without reservation, and thus the kingdom of God comes. And the prayer is answered. Okay, so before you start thinking that being subject to the kingdom of God makes you exempt from being subject to anything else, and l listen, when we say things like the less internal government we have, you know, or the more internal government we have, the less external government we need, then, then automatically some of us might be thinking, that's right, I don't need our provincial government, our federal government, you know, we should stand up against them. We don't, need, we don't need to be subject to them because the more of King Jesus we have, the less of them we need. Amen, Pastor. I could get, we could get some pretty um, powerful rousing applause and all the rest of it. And, and, and yeah, that's right. We're going to stand. We're going we're gonna to be, yeah. Before we go down that path, the Bible addresses that one too. And I, I thought just, I don't know, for some reason, I thought the timing of this would be good to address it. First Peter 2, Peter said this to the early church. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There's certain verses in the Bible I wish weren't, th weren't there. This is one of them. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's to the emperor as supreme or to governors as set by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do Good. Be subject to every human institution. That's hard to hear, isn't it? And harder to do. Because honestly, human institutions are corrupt. Nobody's noticed this? Okay, so however, before we write Peter off and thinking, Peter, you just don't understand, I mean... That's good for you back then, but for us, you don't know our government. You don't know the human institutions that we're part of, how corrupt they are. You don't know how ungodly they are. Before we think that, I, I just need to remind you that when Peter wrote this, Nero was emperor of Rome. And in case you're not caught up with your history, Nero was probably the most anti-Christian emperor. In fact, historians say that Nero 
um, himself burnt down most of Rome, started this big fire that burnt down most of Rome. And in order, and the reason why, why would the emperor burn his own city? The reason why he did it is so he could blame Christians so that he would have permission from all of his citizens to torture and kill Christians. And torture and kill he did in Colosseums with, with lions. In fact, Nero was famous for burning Christians alive at the stake in his garden, burning them alive in his garden when he would have a, a, a garden party and bring guests over from all the... He would have Christians burning alive, like talk about ambiance, like... No, like horrific. And in the context of that horror, Peter writes to the early church, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And in case they were thinking, yeah, except for Nero, he says, whether it's to the emperor as supreme. Wait, Peter, oh, wait. Do you know what he's doing to us? But Peter says, no, remember, I'm saying this not for your sake, because you can't do it for your sake, but for the Lord's sake. Why, Peter, why? He goes on. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, the reason why the church should be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake is all about the kings and the kingdom. In other words, it's all about the kingdom establishing its territory. And what Peter's saying is we should be subject even to the emperor as supreme so that we don't lose our witness and our ability to expand the kingdom of God's territory. Because it's not about just your rights as citizens. It's about the rights of the kingdom, that you're a kingdom citizen first. Before your rights are violated, you gotta be kingdom-minded first. It's about the kingdom expanding. And while we stand up and fight for our rights, we lose our favor with the very people we're called to reach. You cannot reach those you criticize. Nobody's writing that down. Hopefully you are online. You cannot reach those who you criticize. Peter goes on, he says this, live as people who are free. Why do you have to say that? Because they weren't free in the natural. But he said, live as people who are free. But don't you know, the government's taking rights, the government's doing this, the government is Live as people who are free, because you're part of another kingdom. Live as people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. In other words, he's saying there's a difference between between um, not living according to the laws and, and sinning. Not living under the law and break all the, all the rest of it. There's a difference between that. He says not, not using your freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want because ultimately you are still citizens subject to the king and there's a way of doing things that still works. So he says live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a, government, as a cover 
for evil, but live as servants of God. Live as people who are free. Even when they take your freedom, yeah, but don't cover up evil. What does that mean? The best way to understand this is to look back at how the early church did this historically. The early church was known for five practices that were anti-cultural. So they did stand up to Rome. Yeah, but in different ways. Look, this is what the early church was known for. Both from what his, history tells us and what Roman uh, leadership would say about the church. The early church was known for, number one, for diversity. The early church was known for diversity. What, what does that mean? That the, the church, the Christians, didn't differentiate bet between race. They didn't differentiate between class, wealthy, poor, whatever. They didn't, they didn't give favor to those who were wealthy and, and mistreat the poor and ignore the poor. They were known for diversity. They were also known for, for women's rights. And in fact, the church were the ones that abolished slavery. The church is the one that, that stood up for women, women's rights. Did you know, like if you, do, if you do history, it's the church. That's because the church is known and should be known for diversity. And the fact that the moment you mention the fact that you're a Christian to people that aren't, they automatically assume who you vote for and what you're against. So this is why I think we need to get this thinking a little bit more and less religion. We're following? The second thing the early church was known for was for compassion for the sick and the poor. That it was the church that met the needs in the community. It was the church, in fact, in 300 AD, the first hospital was established by the church. In, in a city that was established by the church outside of Caesarea called Basilica, which is, it actually had to set up a, a city because so many people with needs were coming that they had to set up a city and a hospital because so many sick were coming. This is what the church was known for. The church was also known for, number three, for forgiveness. That they followed the lead of Jesus who, who on the cross, body shredded, in, in, into pieces and whipped and beaten and hanging there to death, blood, the gory scene it would have been, pray, says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very people that, that did treated him that way, he forgave. And the early church was known for forgiveness. The early church was known for, number four, is adoption. Adoption, it, abortion wasn't a, a big deal and it wasn't a thing back then. They weren't able to do that. So what they would do, and, and parents who didn't want to have children, moms who didn't want to have children, they literally had, in, in Roman culture, they literally had baby dumps. I know this is hard to hear, but they, baby dumps, that would be dumps just outside the city where any parent who didn't want a child would go and, and base, drop off a baby on this, at this baby dump, and the, the natural elements would, the, the child would die. The church, Christians, would constantly go to these places and take these children and adopt them, and the church was known for adoption. Which is why Paul says we are adopted as sons of God. Like, all of this ties together. The fifth thing that the early church was known for was sexual counterculture. That while everybody in Rome was... was was free sex and, and orgies and all the rest of it. The church was, was 
committed to marriage and to one spouse and to end a sexual counterculture. So if you look at these five things that the early church was known for, God's kingdom is different. He places a higher value, and if you notice this, he places a higher value on life than the current worldview does. And if you notice something, the early church wasn't known for standing up for their rights. They were known for standing up for the rights of everybody else. That's kingdom-mindedness. Peter concluded that whole statement, honor the emperor and all the rest. He concluded that whole statement by saying this. Honor everyone. This is kingdom thinking. This is king. Honor everyone. Everyone? Regardless of race, regardless of wealth, regardless of status, honor, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Doing, saying what Jesus said, love, Father, make them one, so that the world will know. Expanding the territory. Fear God. In the midst, he says this, which carried a lot of weight, instead of just fearing being afraid of the emperor. No, no, no. Place respect of God above. Fear God. And then he says, honor the emperor. Honor everyone. He, he had, again, he had to make the statement going, what do you mean? How do we honor him? He's abusing us. He's mistreated. How, how do we do this? He says, no, no, no. It's, it, do it. Remember what he said? He says, do it. Not for your own rights, but for the Lord. For kingdom mentality. So to be kingdom minded is to be honor minded. That means placing everyone else's needs above our own. Here's today's takeaway. It's a violation of God's kingdom to allow our differences to divide us. Jesus said multiple times on the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, but I say. And he said this in one of those Scriptures, he said, you've heard it said, but I say, Matthew 5, he said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say. That was the current worldview. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which Jesus didn't just say he did, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And he didn't just say, you're not called to be servants, you're called to be sons of the kingdom. That's the rights we've got. This, it's amazing. So while it's easy to conform to the, what is common in the worldview, while it's easy to just follow along with, I don't know if you're like me, I have some strong political opinions, things I like and don't like. I have some strong opinions when I read posts on Facebook. Nobody else? That's just me? This message is for me then. <laughs> it is. I have some strong opinions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to act on those opinions because listen, it's not about what I think or my rights or what I believe. It's about the kingdom of God first and his laws, his way of doing things. And it's about expanding his territory. And while I feel like giving somebody a piece of my mind, that is not what, that's not seeking kingdom first.
And while current worldview is to allow our differences to divide us, kingdom view saying unity over uniformity. Amen. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that as hard as it is to hear, I thank you so much, Jesus, for setting the example first and showing us that it is possible, despite our feelings and as difficult as it is, you felt the same things, and yet you chose differently. Jesus, we submit to you as king. Help each one of us to live kingdom first. And when we do, your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on our My Victory podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out at myvictory.ca. If you'd like to watch our live stream, go to victorylethbridge.tv.